Good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hills online Sunday morning service. I hope you've had a fantastic week. It's been a week full of sunshine and rain, so I hope your garden is green. And in the sunny points, I hope you got to go out and enjoy the outdoors, get a walk in, uh, just kind of breathe in the fresh air. We gather every Sunday morning online and in person. Right now, we're gathering in person Uh, We wear masks. We follow all the safety uh, protocols. So if you uh, are concerned about that, know that that that's all happening. At the same time, uh, we know not everybody feels the same way about masks, about everything like that. Um, You can check out faithonhill.com and on our church blog. I I wrote a post about that. Uh, We live in divided times. And so, hey, we, we want everybody to know where we stand that we are not looking to be further divided. Um, so love to see you in person on Sunday mornings. We have small groups that meet throughout the week. Uh, we have a young adult small group that meets on Tuesday nights. We have youth group that meets on Tuesday nights. We have a small group that meets on Sunday morning at the church. And then we have a online small group that meets every Wednesday at 7 p.m. You can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. Uh, As far as anything else going on, we are always taking donations for the Wichita Family Center. And uh, if you aren't coming in person, but you want to bring clothing or food, uh, you can uh, message me, adam at faithonhill.com, and we can work uh, a time for you to come and drop things by. If you have a Bible, we're going to be studying the book of Jonah, finishing that book up as we continue through the 10 least read books of the Bible. What is calling? That's a a word that you hear church people use from time to time. I feel called to do something, or I don't feel called to do something. Somebody will say they have a calling on their life. What does that mean? I believe there's three types of calling in terms of the Christian faith. There is a collective calling, there's a general calling, and there is a unique calling. So collective is like for everyone. We could also call it a universal calling. This idea that universally every person is called to follow Jesus. And every Christian is called to do certain things. Uh, We call it being on God's mission to be a witness of Jesus Christ and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Every Christian is called to love God with all of their heart, their soul, and their mind and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. I know I mentioned it in the welcome, but again, you could check out our website, faithonhill.com, and I have a blog about loving our neighbors. Um, but, But these are general or collective callings. Everyone has this calling. There's no person that gets out of loving their neighbor. There's no person that should be, in in whatever way God has gifted them, making disciples. There's no person following Jesus who shouldn't be a witness of Jesus. There's no person who shouldn't love God. Like These are basic, universal, collective callings. Everyone's called to do those things. Then there's general callings for an individual. Generally speaking, for example, I know people who have a general calling to, towards cross-cultural missions. God's just made them that way. They like to travel 
Um, it's in kind of who they are to seek out adventures and to go different places. And so whenever, whatever church they've ever been a part of, whenever there's a mission trip, if it's possible for them to go, they go. And if they can't go, they say, hey, how can I help somebody else go? They just have a generalized calling to that. And then there are other people who have very specific or unique callings. So, for example, for five years of my life, I had a specific or unique calling to be a missionary in England. And generally speaking, I, I try to do whatever I can towards cross-cultural ministry. Um, and, I, you know, we, we've taken trips to Mexico, and I've, I've been on uh, outreach trips uh, across Europe and into Russia, um, into Canada. I love doing whatever we can to, to travel and spread the good news of Jesus. So there's a general calling, like, yes, whenever my church has a, a, a trip, I go. And then there's somebody who has a specific calling, like, hey, I'm supposed to spend part of my life or all of my life in another cultural context. That's a specific or unique calling. Not everybody's called to it. Not everybody should do it. In fact, most people shouldn't. It's a unique thing. A general calling could be something like, hey, you know, generally speaking, or, or let's, let's go even bigger. Universally speaking, every Christian should, if possible, be part of a church, a local church family. But then generally within that, uh, you know, wherever I've been part of a church, generally I want to help out. And then maybe there is a unique or specific calling that I have. Like, you don't want me fixing things, but, you know, I, I've been part of churches my, my whole life, and sometimes I've run the soundboard, sometimes I've been in the band, sometimes I'm a preacher. Like, what is it that God's gifted me to do, and I'll, I'll generally help? But then maybe there's a specific calling that I have. Like you could say, specifically, I'm called to be a pastor and to be a Bible teacher. Or you could say that that's a specific call, and then more specifically, I'm called to be the pastor at this church. Or generally, I'm called to be a pastor, and more specifically, I'm called to be a pastor at this church. It really doesn't matter. These are sort of, uh, we're trying to put words to things that we see in the world around us. Now, why am I talking about calling? Because Jonah had a specific calling from God. Go and preach the message I will give you in the great city of Nineveh. No one else from Jonah's generation received that calling. They were all supposed to serve God. They were all supposed to keep God's commands. They were all supposed to do the right things and live the way that God wanted them. But only Jonah had this calling to go to Nineveh. God gives us specific callings in our life. And so last week, we talked about how God wants to do a work in us. And this week, we're going to talk about how God wants to do a work through us. And we're going to look at the life of Jonah for examples and inspiration and ideas of how that works. So you might remember, we read this last week, Jonah, it says in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. And then, of course, we know that Jonah did exactly what God said. Oh, no, wait, he didn't. He did the complete 
opposite of what God said. God said, go over here. Jonah went over there. It says that he got on a ship that was bound for Tarshish. And Tarshish, whether it was England or Spain, we don't know. But the idea is that it was as far away from where God wanted him to be as he could go. He was going as far away to the end of the line as he could get. And while he was on that ship in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, God sent a storm. The ship, the sailors thought they were for sure going to to capsize and sink and then they would all be drowned. And God revealed to the sailors that it was Jonah's fault. And so they said, hey, what's going on? And he said, well, I'm running from God. And if you throw me overboard, God will take care of you because this isn't about you. This is about me. And so God protects Jonah. The sailors throw him overboard. God causes a big fish to swallow him. That's the part of the story most people know. And if you want to know about the big fish, it's not a whale, big fish. Uh, You can go back to last week's message where we talked about that. But then Jonah repents, and three days later, God causes the, the big fish to spit Jonah up onto dry land. And that is chapter three. And then chapter three, Verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came a second time to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So Jonah had a specific calling on his life to do a specific thing. Because God doesn't just want to work in us. God has chosen you to do a work through you. God didn't just save you and then, and then said, okay, now your sins are forgiven and you just wait around until heaven happens. So do your thing, you know, grab a soda, ball games on, sit on the couch and just chill out. And then when heaven's ready, I'll let you know. No, God has a work for us to do while we are here. The first work that God had for Jonah is to reach individuals. It says in chapter 1 that they took Jonah, verse 15, and they threw him overboard. Remember, Jonah said to the sailors, if you throw me overboard, the seas will calm. God's mad at me, not at you. You'll be taken care of. And it says the raging sea grew calm, verse 16, and this the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows to him. Now we've talked about this before, how when you see the word Lord, L-O-R-D in all caps, that is either Yahweh or Jehovah. It is the name of God. And why that matters is that they weren't just saying, oh, thank you, God, whatever that is, whoever you are, whether you're the God of Jonah or you're the God of those guys or you're the God of the Egyptians or you're the God of the Persians. No, they were very specific about who they were worshiping. God cared about reaching individuals. And because of God's work in Jonah's life, These sailors turned to Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, it would be revealed later. Because of the work that God was doing in Jonah's life, God was able to do a work through Jonah's life, and these sailors came to a place of worshiping God. How do we know that? You know, you can only guess. 
You can only speculate. But it's not unreasonable to think that when all was said and done and Jonah got back home, that news of his story spread and he connected with the sailors. And they said, hey, you're still alive. And he said, yes, you guys are okay too. And they, they told him the story of what happened after the fact, because how else would Jonah know? It's not an unreasonable thing to, uh, to make a speculation about. God wants to reach individuals. He wants to reach people. And those sailors mattered to God. Jonah thought he was doing his own thing. I'm going to get out of the plans of God. and I'm going to follow my plans. And God says, Jonah, I'm going to use you. And I'm going to work through you. And you aren't even supposed to be here, but I'm in my power and strength. I am going to use you to reach these sailors. Does that mean that what Jonah did was okay? No. But it means that God wants to reach people and he will work through us. And it wasn't just the sailors that Jonah reached because we can skip over to verse 1, chapter 3, and it says the word of the Lord came a second time to Jonah and he said, go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. So verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, went to Nineveh, Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it says it took three days to go through it. Now, I have been to some big cities. I've been to Moscow. I've been to London. I've been to Los Angeles. It's not literally saying that it took three days to walk from one side of the city of Nineveh to the other. Especially back then, you know, cities were not as big or large. They couldn't sustain as many people as they are now. You can actually go back in the book of Genesis, and it talks about Nineveh, and it talks about these other towns surrounding Nineveh. And the fact that it continually refers to Nineveh as Nineveh, the great city, as opposed to the city of Nineveh, is likely an ancient way of denoting a larger area. For example, did you know that the city of London is only about a mile square. It's one square mile. Now, what we think of as London is far bigger. But the city of London is only a mile square. The the biggest city, the most densely populated city in the world is Tokyo, right? But Tokyo itself is not that big. There's other cities and districts that are connected in greater Tokyo. Even here in Portland. You know, Milwaukee... Oak Grove, Gladstone, we get lumped in as the Portland area. If somebody looks at Portland on a map and they see us and they see Gresham and they see Tigard and it's all the Portland area, that's the idea. That to go throughout the entire greater Nineveh area would take three days. So Jonah begins to go through it and it says um, that he was proclaiming, verse 4, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Well, that's a fun message. Nineveh, he goes to Nineveh. He starts from one end and starts walking to the other. And he makes sure everybody has a chance to hear his message. And the message is this. You've got 40 days and then you're going to be overthrown. There's no offer of repentance. There's no offer of, hey, if, if you just do these things, God will forgive you. He just says, hey, judgment's coming. He's a bad preacher. But God wants to do a work and reach these 
individuals. God wants to reach the common, everyday person that lives in the greater Nineveh area. And so he sends Jonah. Now here's two things that this tells me. One is that I don't and you don't have to feel some sort of obligation like I have to make people believe. Jonah was apparently a, not a great preacher. He was, a, he was not the guy you'd want to go and do this work. But God chose him, and the Spirit of God did the work convicting people. You just have to tell people. That's why we say the, the mission of God is to be a witness of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus. All you have to do is be a witness. Tell people what you know. Tell people what you've seen. You don't have to be an expert on every facet of the Christian faith. You just tell people your story. Tell them what you know. Tell them what you've seen. And if somebody says, hey, what about this? What does a witness do if they're in court on the, on the stand and they're giving testimony? And, and somebody says, hey, what about this thing? And they don't know. They say, I don't know. It's okay to say that. I say that all the time. Well, Christians say this. What about that? And I say, I don't know but can I look that up or can we look that up together and let's work through this? Jonah was going and proclaiming the message God gave him and it was the Spirit of God who did the work. You know, God has a work to do, but we think it's all on us. God's the one doing the work. He just wants to work through us. It's not the work of Adam. It's not the work of you. It's the work of God and he has chosen to work through us. He wants to reach individuals. Those sailors mattered. The common person in Nineveh mattered. That's who Jonah went to. He didn't go to the king. He just started walking from one end of town to the other. Now the king heard. It says in verse 6 that when Jonah's warning reached the king. So what's going on is that Jonah is going through the city of Nineveh, proclaiming his message, and the average person is taking notice. And the, the common average person, subject, citizen, however you want to describe it in a, in a monarchy, they're, they're taking notice and the word gets up to the king. You know, you'd think, oh, we have to connect with the, the leaders, the most influential people in our town. You know, I want to reach the mayor. I want to, I want to connect with the the city councilman, I want to connect. You know, there used to be this saying, hey, if you can get the quarterback, you'll get the high school. That's not how God works. He's just going and connecting with average people. And if the king wants to come along, he can. Because God's no respecter of people. God wants to reach individuals. God wants to reach your neighbor, your coworker your fellow students. He cares about people that no one else cares about. And God wants to do that work through us. I don't go where you go every day. I don't live where you live every day. So if you think, oh, well, I'll just get the preacher to do it, God's placed you where you are. God's placed you in your school, you in your workplace, you in your neighborhood, you in your community. He's placed you, and he wants to do a work through you. Because God does want to reach communities. Because it started with just individuals, but it got up to the king. And what does the king say? He makes a decree, verse 7, By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. 
Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. For who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So there was an individual change that had to happen. Have you ever seen a government law against violence that works 100% of the time? We have all kinds of rules against murder, and yet murder happens. So individually, they had to turn away, but collectively, there was a shift in the community. One of my favorite stories is the Welsh Revival from 100 years ago. Well, it's 110 years ago now. But the Welsh Revival, and for a couple of years in Wales, which is part of the United Kingdom, Great Britain, but for for a couple of years, God just poured his spirit through that part of, of the British Isles to the point where pubs were closing because people had stopped abusing alcohol. And they had to lay off police because there just was not as much crime. And there was a a community shift, a shift in culture. And I believe that that can and does happen as God's spirit is poured out in a community. That there can be a shift, a change in a community. A work can happen. And God doesn't just want to reach individuals. He wants to reach whole communities. But notice how he does it. He doesn't go top down. He just starts reaching people. And as people are reached, the community changes. America has a history of revival. You can go and look this up. Depending on who you ask and who's writing the history, America has had five or six major revivals in our history. That's not counting local revivals where, where people have turned to God in large numbers in a community or within a specific church or a specific region. But nationally, we have had five or six major revivals. We've had the first, second, and third great awakening. We had the Azusa Street revival about 120 years ago in uh, the Los Angeles area. And then there was, it depends on how you count it. Some people call it the 20th century revival, um, somewhere between like 1950 and 1980. They kind of say over that 30-year period, you can see a general wave of revival happening. Others would say there was a small revival in the 50s, and then it was largely on the East Coast, and, and, and then there was a larger revival in the 70s that was in the West Coast and in Texas and to a lesser extent on the East Coast. I think we'll have more clarity about that in another 50 years if Jesus doesn't come back because historians who have a little more perspective will be able to better talk about it. But the big idea is this, that there is a history of a, a cultural or a community shift as people individually turn to Jesus that collectively there is a shift. God wants to reach individuals and he wants to work in communities. God wants to do a work in us and then wants to do a work through us. But here's the, here's the truth. God's work in us is, is in us, right? It's not in anyone else. It's in us. But then as God works in us, he can work 
through us, but it's only good for one generation. Because here's the truth. Jonah went to Nineveh and he proclaimed the message from God. And what happened? It says in verse 10, chapter 3, that when God saw what they did and how they had turned from their evil ways, so collectively as a community, they had entered a time of mourning and repentance. Putting on sackcloth was a, a symbol of repentance and mourning. So collectively, they, they did it. But individually, they did it as well. They turned away from their violence and their idolatry, and they repented. And it says, when God saw this, verse 10, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring the destruction that he had threatened. And God spared the city of Nineveh. Chapter 4 tells us there's about 120,000 people and God said, hey, these guys don't know their right hand from their left hand. They're living in darkness. They're living in, in total destructive misery. And God brought Jonah to preach the truth of God to those people, and they repented. But repentance and God's work in a community and revival and change is only good for one generation. Every generation needs revival. God has no grandchildren. You may have heard that saying before. When we place our faith in Jesus, we, through his work on the cross, are adopted into God's family. We are daughters and sons of God, children of the kingdom of heaven. But my kids need their own work of redemption and salvation. My grandchildren, if I ever have any, will need that same work. What happened in my life won't count for them. They'll have to make their own choice. And as I said earlier, America has had a history of five or six national revivals. But you know why we've had five or six? Because every time we've had a national revival, a general national shift or turning to God, there has come another generation who has done their own thing. There's come another generation who's just said, whatever, we'll do what's right in our own eyes. And so America will always need more revival or any place, any country, any community will always need new revival because it only works for one generation. What happened in the Great Awakening 200 years ago, what happened in the Second Great Awakening that birthed our heritage as a church what happened in the Azusa Street Revival, what happened in my parents' generation in the 70s. That's in the past. And we need revival now in our own lives, in our own day. It only works for one generation. And then the next generation will have to choose, am I going to let God do his work in me so that he can do his work through me? Because God wants to work in future generations. God wants to work in my kids' generation. He wants to work in your kids' generation, your grandkids' generation. If you yourself say, yeah, I, I know God worked in my parents' generation, but as he worked in me, God wants to work in you. Now, it's interesting. Nineveh repented, but a hundred years later, they had turned back to their wickedness. A hundred years later, they were back to war-making, to idolatry, to violence, 
Remember, violence was called out as a thing to repent of. And within a hundred years, they were back to it. And they came and God used them to judge his wayward people. And it was Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, that came and conquered the northern ten tribes of Israel and took them away into exile. And then God judged them for their wickedness. He said, hey, Nineveh, I know I've used you to deal with my people, but that doesn't excuse your violence, your idolatry, your evil. And so God did finally bring a judgment on them because, yes, he had spared their grandparents, but they themselves had turned back to evil. God wants to work in future generations, though. Jonah's work mattered in the lives of individuals. It mattered in the lives of the sailors. It mattered in the lives of the people of Nineveh. Jonah went back. We actually have, uh, it's recorded in the book of 2 Kings that Jonah was a prophet to his own people. And Jonah had a ministry there telling them the word of God. So Jonah did work in his day, but his work also had an influence on future generations. Jesus, in Mark chapter 8, verse 12, they said, Hey, Jesus, if you're really the Messiah, give us a sign. And Jesus had been performing miracles left and right. It's like, what more signs do you need? But he said, you know what? The only reason you're asking for a sign after everything that's been done is that you don't believe you're a wicked and perverse people. So he said, this is the sign that will be given to you. The sign of Jonah. For three days and three nights, Jonah was in the belly of the fish. So shall the Son of Man, which is a title for the Messiah, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the earth. And so Jesus said, you want a sign? It's that I'm going to die and rise again. And this example has been used as a message and a preaching point for the last 2,000 years. Jonah's work is still being used to proclaim the truth of God. Because God's just not interested in what God, you know, what he did in the past. He wants to work in our day and as many future generations as there are, and only God knows, he wants to work among them as well. So for us, it comes to us to say, Lord, do your work in my life. And please, by your grace, do your work through my life. And Lord, help us in that work that you do in us and through us to set the stage for your work among future generations. You know, I think about this a lot. Faith on Hill is almost 150 years old. Almost 150 years ago, someone came to Oregon, crossed the Oregon Trail, and came and preached in downtown Milwaukee on a Wednesday night. And this church was born. And, and there were four preachers who came and they went all over Oregon and Washington. And there are churches all over Oregon and Washington that were started through their ministry. And there were other preachers too. I'm just speaking of our tribe of churches. And we exist on their legacy. And the work that they did in starting this thing has been passed to us for work in what for them would be future generations, what for us is our day. God wants to do the work 
in us and he wants to do the work through us. So for us, we say, Lord, show us what you want for us to do. Give me opportunities to share. I'm going to get into conversations with people. Lord, lead me by your spirit. I'm, I'm going to hear about opportunities. Lord, show me the way you want me to go. I see the general calling for all Christians to be a witness of Jesus and to make disciples. Lord, I see the general calling that you've put on my life and how you've gifted me and equipped me. And maybe you do know your specific calling. Maybe you don't, but the Lord can show and confirm these things. Lord, how am I supposed to serve you in these days? Because there are people out there lost in darkness. I want to read again what the Lord said to Jonah at the end of chapter 4. He says, verse 11, Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand, and also many animals? So he's saying, hey, look, look around. There's people living in darkness. And then the animals, he says, look at the creation. The people are, are destroying what I've created. Shouldn't I care about that? Shouldn't I care about that? All around the greater Portland area, there are people walking in darkness who don't know their right hand from their left hand. There are people who call evil good. And they exist in all walks of life. Conservatives and liberals, progressives and libertarians, old and young, people that live out in Estacada, people that live in the heart of the Pearl District, Beavers fans, Ducks fans, It doesn't matter. There are people who need Jesus. And for those of us who are Christians, this is a great opportunity. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And if you're watching and you say, you know what? I know that I'm one of those people walking in darkness. The invitation of God is there for you. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. And God will look and see that you have relented from your sin and that you have turned to him. And the justice of God will turn from you and it is taken by Jesus on the cross and you will only experience the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness of God. I want to invite us to enter into a time of prayer so that we can ask God to clarify the word he has spoken to us. Let's pray together. Well, as we have heard from God's word, God has spoken to us. I believe it's now on to us to respond and speak back to him. I want to invite you to enter this time of prayer. And if you have heard this message and you say, I need Jesus, email me, adam at faithonhill.com. I'd love to talk about these things more with you. But there is a simple invitation to cry out to God. Jesus, I believe that you are God. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and that you took the punishment and the judgment for all of the sins of the world, including and especially my sins. And I believe that you rose from the dead three days later in victory over sin and death. Jesus, show me what it means to follow you and fill my life with your spirit so that I can live in your victory. And if that's the prayer of your heart, I believe God hears you and he accepts you. And for those of us who are believers, 
Would you join with me in prayer? And I'd like you to name out one person that you know, a friend, a family member, a neighbor, a coworker, a fellow student, somebody who you know doesn't know Jesus that you want to pray for. Name them out and then pray with me. I'm praying this morning for my friend Devin. And whoever you've named, whoever you've in your heart or with your voice called out, would you pray with me this prayer for them? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would reveal your light and your truth to my friend Devin and to any who have been named. Lord, I pray that you would send people into their life to do your work and proclaim your truth and that your spirit would convict of sin and assure of forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would bring many to know you. Send revival again to our community, we pray. And finally, Lord, I pray for calling. We know what you want us to do in in general or universal terms. Maybe we have a general idea of how you've skilled us or gifted us to do your work, but Lord, I pray that you would put a deep sense of what you want for each individual person. Put a, a, a burning passion or a desire in our hearts that we cannot ignore. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God heard and hears your prayer. God is with you. All you have to do is turn to him. We'll see you again next Sunday for our online service. We gather on Wednesday nights online for our Zoom small group. You can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com. And our online Bible teaching podcast, which is kind of like an extra service, uh, is our 20-minute Bible study. And you can find video versions of that on our Facebook page, or if you just search Faith on Hill on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you'll find this teaching and our 20-minute Bible study in an audio format. We'll see you next week at Faith on Hill.